All right, hello everybody. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host. And I am tired. I'm a little tired today. Uh, I've had a pretty busy weekend. So for those of you who don't know, I talked a little bit about this last week. Look, this is my intro. You're welcome to skip it. Y'all know the drill by now. But I'm going to decompress just a little bit here. So I've been pretty busy. I had SmackDown on Friday, the UFC event that started at 3 in the morning my time. Family stuff. Then I covered um, AEW's All In this morning that started at 11 my time. Yeah, there were 1 p.m. Eastern. There were more primetime in... Uh, they were in Wembley at this one, so primetime in London, in the UK. Um, yeah. That was a lot. I don't know how Larry Zonka used to do it. He kept a crazy schedule of stuff he'd cover. And... Um... I got a small taste of that over the last three days, and as I'm recording this, like I'm sure there's a semi-major professional wrestling event. Isn't, doesn't Impact have something? Does Impact even count anymore? Whatever. He'd be covering that, too, because he was a... Um, so I've been doing a lot of that. There was a lot. Uh, I watched... Oh, you had the family stuff. Then I watched a bunch of the boxing... Actually, from Saturday, too. Um, so I got to watch the Usyk-Dubois BS play out in real time. Uh, just on the off chance you happen to watch it. But like, sorry, Dubois truthers out there. He punched... What do you guys think a low blow is? I really have to ask this. This is the problem with language, okay? So there's some controversy in the fifth round. Dubois landed a low blow. It hurt Usyk. It kind of dropped him. It, that was, that was, uh, I, I took issue with some of how the referee handled this, for the record. So, first of all, the ref didn't really do the, you know, when they do the final face, it's like, okay, here's good, here's good, don't go below that. Because what this is important for boxing because the belt line is not necessarily where your, like, the belt of your trunks is. Some guys wear higher-waisted trunks, some wear lower. The belt line is where you are on the anatomy, not where you are on the apparel. But the my point about the language thing, we've used low blow interchangeably with groin shot for so long that people think they're the same. Not. A low blow in boxing is anything below the belt line. It's not just a punch to the groin. You're not allowed to hit the hip. I've seen this from a few guys, actually. Um, oh, There was one fight last year. I forget who was involved. But it was going one guy's way. And then he wasn't like, he just didn't appreciate apparently how much the other guy was moving. So he punched him in the hip. He got warned for it because you, know, you can't do it. But the other guy started, he stopped moving as well after that. Um... Dude, getting punched in the hip is not fun. I don't mean the side. Like, you hit the side of the hip, you'll do damage to your hand. But if you don't like how somebody's moving, uh, punching them, or if, if it's legal, is one of the things about MMA. MMA doesn't have a rule about low blows. They have a rule about groin strikes. 
not allowed to hit the groin. You are allowed to hit the hip. So if you're not happy with how someone's moving and you're allowed to legally front kick them in the hollow of that hip, it works. It'll slow them down. Um, the other thing in boxing, like you can't hit, um, you can't hit the sciatica. You know, if you get around, you kind of dig your. Uh, you can't in MMA. Like you can punch someone in essentially the butt. But if you do it in the right spot, like you can screw up someone's sciatica. They'll stop moving around as much. That you can't do that in boxing either. The issue is not where you punched in the groin. Was the blow below the belt line? This one was. This isn't that complicated. Uh, Usyk went on to stop him later, but the ref, and one of the things about the referee in that case, he insisted that Usyk take the full five minutes to recover. Usyk said he was ready to go after three, I think, somewhere in that neighborhood. And the ref was like, no, no, you, you got a minute. And he's like, no, I'm ready to go. No, no, you, you wait, you wait. Don't know if that, just a weird, uh, just some weirdness there. Um, solid enough win for Usyk, who had another face-off with Tyson Fury that will again probably lead to nothing because, well, boxing. Uh, anyway. But speaking of low blows, man, there were a lot of them in boxing, actually, on Saturday night. One of the undercard fights for, um, another heavyweight fight. Uh, Jared Anderson. Uh, one of the, like, the co-main event for that ended after, like, four or five punches to the groin. <laughs> From uh, uh, Kazakhstan guy, Jean uh, Kasubutsev. I can't remember. I apologize. I'm not remembering his last name properly. But he and uh, F.A. Ajogba kind of went at it. And Ajogba got away with a little bit. And uh, Kasubutsev, that's what it was, responded by uh, hitting him in the groin. And the ref kind of went, okay, don't do that. And he took a, uh, the second time he took a point, and Kosobutsky at that point was just kind of mentally checked out, and he kept doing it, and Ajagbe finally got dropped at one point, and the ref DQ'd uh, Kosobutsky correctly. Um, but now I'm here, so I've done the wrestling thing, I've done, and here's the other thing about this weekend, it wound up being a tough one. Um... The week in general, uh, just one of those weeks where several people wind up passing around the same time. In the wrestling world, we lost Terry Funk, who was about 80, and had been in some poorer health. Kind of prepared for that one. Uh, the big shocker was uh, WWE guy uh, Bray Wyatt, stage name, real name, Wyndham Rotunda. Passed very suddenly. Um, it was Thursday, I think. Good evening. And that, I know he wasn't everyone's favorite wrestler, and you might be sitting there listening, really, we're talking pro wrestling, just, eh, won't take too much longer on this, I promise. Uh, I think what got me more was one, a couple of things about this got me. One, he was younger than I am. He was 30, uh, 36. That's just... That's just tragic, man. He had kids. He had uh, two kids from a previous marriage, and then he and um, uh, they weren't married. His current fiance had um, two kids together as well, so leave behind four kids. Um, terrible. 
So that messed me up for a little bit. And then, uh, well, who do we have in the entertainment world? We had Bob Barker, passed away at the age of 99. I kind of thought he was already, I'm obviously misremembering, but I would have sworn he, would, he had already passed. And then, uh, again, still on the entertainment side of things, the original voice of Harley Quinn, uh, Arlene Sorkin, passed. She was 79, I think. So, just several people in the sort of general sphere that I operate in, uh, kind of passing all at once. That was rough. That was rough. Uh, so, yeah, if I'm a, point being there, if I'm a little not my usual self, blame the bit of sleep deprivation and I, uh, sort of unresolved grief, I suppose, if, the, if that exists at the moment in this podcast, so, anyway. Anyway, that's where we are, so please interact with the product a little bit. Like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review, whatever's applicable to your podcast platform of choice. If you've done any and all of that, share. Tell people on whatever your social media platform of choice happens to be, or in your real life, that you enjoy the show. If you think they'd enjoy it, point them in my direction. Happy to provide entertainment, education, or just be a voice. Dude, I've said this many times, because I know some people that this is true for. Uh, for, this, for Not this show necessarily, but my voice. I was apparently real great at putting... Uh, my voice was really good at putting um, infants to sleep. Like, people would just turn on some of, the st- some of the shows I've done in the past, and it was great for helping young children fall asleep. So if I do that for... If that's what I'm, if that's what I'm good for in this instance, I'm, I'll take it. I'm happy. So... Yeah, that's where that is. All right, let's move on. That's enough dourness on my part, I think. So, the UFC event. UFC on ESPN Plus 83. They were in Singapore early Saturday morning. Main event. Max Holloway knocks out the Korean zombie, Chan Sung Jung, 23 seconds into the third round. Um, You know, we all knew this was going to happen. The fight itself was... How was it? It could have been worse. Like, this was not good for, you know, zombies, long-term health. Getting knocked out never is. In his defense, a couple of things. One, this wasn't... um, This wasn't completely one-sided. He had some moments. This was almost entirely on the feet. Um... First round, again, relatively competitive. Max is round. But Jung landed some good punches. Uh, they both kind of got wobbled at different points. And considering Max's chin, you know, Jung being able to kind of uh, stun him for a second or two, the man still has power. Second round, again, it's going kind of... A, it actually starts a little bit more back and forth. Dan Holloway drops Jung, doesn't really follow up, instead grabs it at an anaconda choke, can't quite finish it. Um, I have to double check why. He might have rolled to the wrong side. I mean, look, far be it, look, look, Max Holloway could kill me. I, again, it was a little bit the wrong, I remember the other thing. Um, Jung was good about keeping his back flat on the mat. So if you've never had to finish, especially an, an anaconda choke, um, you don't want the other guy flat on their back necessarily. Like you, there's still methods of finishing it from there, but you don't really want it. It's not ideal. 
Um, what you want to do is roll them all the way through onto more of their hip and shoulder so you're facing each other. And then you walk your hips in, compresses everything. If they can get flat on their back, it's it lessens a little bit of the constriction. Like I said, there's plenty of ways to still finish from there, but ideally, you you get them onto their side, and then you can kind of squeeze everything down. So Jung survived that. Um, third round, he kind of came out and went, all right, if I'm going out, I'm going out. And just, we got 23 seconds of wild brawling before uh, Jung lands. Uh, Jung misses a left hand, eats a right, throws his own right, which does land, but he's already been hit, and he kind of face plants after that. Um, yeah, Max Holloway is still really darn good. <laughs> I mean, Max was carrying a lot of emotion into this one with the wildfires in Hawaii at the moment. Or the aftermath of them. Um, terrible. Terrible tragedy. It, it was a natural disaster. Like it, it was just a tragedy. Probably elements of it exacerbated. Let me just put it like this. The response to this was not as nimble as you would like, or as swift as you would like, from the federal government. Uh, just throwing that out there. Um, that, that's as far as I'm going to go with that. Like that, that's a uni That's just a logistical thing. That's not a party thing. It's like, oh no, if a different guy was in power, it would have gone differently. Yeah. Not saying that's impossible. I'm just saying we're, we've been rightly critical of the government at various levels for how it responds to different disasters, and it was not very swift here. On that, just that. So Max is carrying that emotion. He wore he uh, wore red shorts for the first time in his UFC career. He'd never worn that color, but it was kind of his solidarity thing. Um, he's still really good. He's still one of the best featherweights in the world. I think if Volkanovski wasn't there, he might still be champion. He's still that good. He's, you can see him slowing a little, but he's not, it's not to an appreciable degree. I mean, his output was still good. His chin still held up. Uh, when I say Max has slowed a little bit, even Max slowed is still good enough to beat, you know, Arnold Allen the fight before this was not an easy thing to do and he beats jung here like he's still he beat yair um that was a heck of a fight actually uh but dude the fact that max has never been dropped his chin is insane we need to start including him in that in that like that list you know the best chins in mma dude max has been in the ufc for what 12 years uh, so he's in his 12th. He debuted in February of 2012. So 11 years, 11 plus years in the UFC. He's fought Dustin Poirier twice. He fought Conor McGregor, Leonard Garcia, Jeremy Stevens, Charles Oliveira, Ricardo Lamas, Anthony Pettis, Jose Aldo twice, Frankie Edgar, Volkanovski three times. Calvin Cater, I could go on, never been dropped. I mean, the man's had so 32 fights, all but four in the UFC, so 28 UFC fights across, uh, again, 
almost 12 years, coming up on 12 years, fighting the best. He's absorbed a ton of strikes, too. If people forget this about him, he's landed the most total strikes in UFC history by... This, like, like, he's so far ahead of second place. He's over a thousand strikes ahead of second place. Like, you could add, I think you could almost add together, like, positions two and three on the list. And they still don't equal him. I'd have to double check the math on that, but... It's insane. Yeah, his most significant strikes landed in UFC history at 3,197. Uh, okay, so if you added together two and three, that's Angela Hill and Frankie Edgar. Um, Hill at 1820, Edgar at 1801. You could add them together and get past him. But, dude, he's a thousand plus strikes ahead of second place. It's, it's nuts. Uh, but he's, again, he's also absorbed a lot of strikes. He's absorbed the most, I believe, in UFC history. Um, he has the most, he's the third most total fight time in UFC history overall. He has the most in the division. Uh, it's... And he's, he is insanely durable, is the long and the short of that. Max Holloway is a statistical marvel all around. You can look up some of, look up some of the stuff he's done there. And it's, it's kind of nuts. It's a little bit nuts. Yeah, okay, so for the record, here's the math on this. Max is uh, 1377 strikes ahead of second place. There are only 16 other fighters who have landed more than 1377 significant strikes in their entire careers. <laughs> the UFC. <laughs> he has gapped second place by so much, less than 20 other people in UFC history have even hit that number. So, he said he's kind of, he's not calling out Volkanovski in the in the traditional sense, but he does feel he is kind of the undeniable next guy up. I think the next guy up is Ilya Teporia. Yeah, man. I don't, here's the thing about this. I'm not, I hate to say I'm not interested in another fight between Volk and Max because... On a, on a certain level, I am. They're the two best guys in that division. By a margin, that's not trivial. Um, so, again, they're the best guys in the division. There's something I would find interesting about that fight. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. I'm also, on the other hand, not interested because I've seen that fight three times. And the most recent one was the least competitive. I I hate to dismiss Max Holloway. I'm not and I'm not dismissing him. If they made that fight, he would be in it. But I've I I, I don't need it again. So 
that's where that is. Um, as for the Korean zombie, uh, he retired after the fight, which we'd all kind of speculated. Left a really nice Instagram post um, and that when he announced it. You know, a couple of things about the Korean zombie that need to be said. First of all, he actually had one of the longest streaks of main eventing the events he was on. That's not always... Um, how long was that streak, by the way? It was up there with, like, Connor. Let me check. Okay. He main events UFC on Fuel when he fought Dustin Poirier and beat him. Pretty crazy fight back in 2012. Was he in all of the main event of, two, of 163? Yes, they were. Yes, they were. Um, then he had that... He lost four years after that fight. A combination of injury and his mandatory military service in South Korea. Returns four years later... Well, not four. Three and change. Yeah. Three and a half-ish. Yeah. Um, main events, knocks out Dennis Bermudez. Main events when he fights Yair Rodriguez, that wild fight. Main events against Hanato Moikano, these are fight nights. Main events against uh, Frankie Edgar when they were in Busan, and he stopped Edgar in the first round. Um, main evented when he lost to Brian Ortega. Main evented against Dan Ige. Yeah, he was. The, he and Volkanovski was the main event of 273, and he was the main event here for this fight night. So, long streak of being the main event. Less at 140, was he? No, no, that was like, what, two title fights? Wait, sorry, that was when he knocked out Mark Hominick, right? Sorry, I'm double-checking this. Yeah, they kicked off the main card. And then pretty much everything after that. It's only two fights of his entire UFC career. He was only ever not the main event twice. That's a pretty crazy stat, actually. Um, for a guy who never won the belt, uh, carried the flag for South Korean MMA, turned in a bunch of good fights, man. If you didn't actually watch some of his earlier stuff um, in, like... Because he debuted in Pancrase. No, debuted is the wrong word. His, his original debut was um, a different thing. Um, but I watched... What did I see before he came to WEC? Uh, I, I think it was the uh, Ishiwatari fight. So that was um, Sengoku 7, so World Victory Road. Or, yeah. Because he lost... I didn't watch the loss to Kanahara... I saw the highlight of his win over Jaggers. It was that nice triangle choke, and that kind of got him in the UFC where he had that split decision loss to Leonard Garcia that he probably should have won. Then Roop changed his career by head kicking him, and he kind of changed his um, style up a little bit. Then he yeah, had that twister on Garcia in 2011, his UFC debut. Like he, he carried the flag for a country that's produced some pretty good talent, some pretty talented guys and girls, actually, as time has gone on. He went out and he, dude, he never had a bad, he never had a boring fight. He may not have loved every fight of his. In fact, a good friend of mine hates his fight with Poirier. I, and I, I've heard him explain why, and I, I don't agree with him, but I could, I understand where he's coming from. Um, but like, you can't name a bad fight of his. 
When the least, what, like the least bonkers fight you were involved in was uh, his fight with Ortega, maybe? Now there's his connection with the fans and the appreciation for what he did in the cage or in the ring, wherever he was. It, it kind of it kind of overcame. He had kind of the Donald Cerrone thing, where that connection was kind of whether you win or lose. Actually, you could argue he had a better career than Cerrone when you he fought for the belt twice. That's a pretty lengthy time span, actually. Like the difference in time between his first title shot and his second was really big. That was what five years, something like that. Big length of time. Um, that might have been. That was said though the longest or like second longest time between title shots. Just look like how many days he went from Aldo to Volk. Double check that one too. I, I couldn't swear to it, but it's up there. Uh, he's ready to move on, and he. I I understand. You know I don't blame the guy. I wish him nothing but the best. I wish him nothing but the best going forward. He's a pretty decent coach. Uh, good luck to the next chapter of his life, because there's life after fighting, and it's frankly more important than what you do when you do fight. As a what you do when you fight, man, it, it's short. And I, uh, I mean, look, look at the guys who spent the most time in the cage. Yeah, like you know, I mentioned Max. You know, um, RDA's at the top of that list. Frankie Edgar's high up there, both right around the eight-hour mark. You know that. Ultimately, that's very little. It's eight hours. Like, not even the full Lord of the Rings trilogy, right? Well, the extended cut wouldn't be the full. It's right around that. Like, that's not really much in the span of your life. Spend more time training than you do, you know, in the cage. But what you do after is, like, the rest of your life. You know, that's your family. That's your rest of your uh, spare time. It, it's more important than fist fighting. I wish him nothing but the best. Good luck to him. Um, was a dude. He announced his retirement in the cage, and the UFC production got this right. Commentary didn't say anything. They just did a long tracking shot, um, walking him to the back while they played uh, his walkout song, which is uh, Zombie by the Cranberries. And they just let that moment be. And the crowd treated him like a hero. Uh, they, the last two retirements from the UFC, they've gotten right. You know, Robbie Lawler and now this one. Um, I hate to say, I can't exactly call it a feel-good moment because he just got knocked out. But that was handled about as well as it was going to be handled. Uh, co-main event. You know, there was a bit of a discussion on Twitter, before I get to the rest of this card, about whether or not this was a better card than the pay-per-view that's coming up. That's two... What is it? 293? Yeah, the numbers all get jumbled. Yeah, 293, which is coming in September. Um, that's Adesanya and Strickland. And Strickland and Adesanya is a better main event. Um, than this one was. But outside of that, and when I preview that event next week, you know, we'll get into the details here. This was a better card, like, excluding the main event. This was better, and frankly, I don't think it's that close. 
they brought a pretty good card to this. As I, I say that before I start, you know, what I'm going to say about the co-main. Um, co-main event, Anthony Smith defeats Ryan Spann via split decision, 29-28. 29-28 either way is fine. Smith had the first, Spann gets the second. Because the second is where Spann, uh, he lands a left hook that messes up Smith's um, left eye. And then the third was super close. So, you know, again, 29-28 either way is fine. Um, my big takeaway from this one, actually, um, commentary. So our commentary team for this was Brendan Fitzgerald, Michael Bisbing, and Paul Felder. It's actually a pretty solid trio most of the time. The doctor came in to check Smith's eye between rounds two and three, and Bisbing was insufferable. Um, did the yeah, yeah, he can see, get out of there, let him fight. I'm sure glad this doctor and ref weren't, you know, refereeing one of my fights because they would have, like, just shut up. Here's the only thing you can say. You don't get to say if he can see. You don't know that. You can, what you can say is the eye is not swollen shut, which was true. Um, when it, when that, um, punch, when you got the first look at how badly that eye was messed up, my thought was, you know, that might stop it if it gets worse. It didn't get worse. So the doc, the doctor's there to check on him. Shut up. I, I hate to say I'm sick of this, but commentary opining, which is what their job is. Like, I don't say that they're opining as some derogatory comment, but them opining about what the doctor should do. It's getting old. They're there to double-check your safety. The doctor is performing an eye exam. Uh, Smith passed it off and wanted to continue, so we continued. There's just certain things and certain times when the commentary is not necessary and is frankly annoying. This was one of them. Um, this was a mi- that that instance was a miss. Um, yeah, not not much else to it. Light heavyweight is such a. <sighs> I don't know what's up with that division, man. Look, you had Jamal Hill um, win it, and dude, I was when that fifth round hits and Glover gets him down, gets like is. He might do it. He might get the stoppage after losing badly. I was half pulling for him because I figured he'd win and retire. <laughs> and then we functionally got the same thing with um, uh, with Jamal Hill injuring himself. And there's no champion. And nobody knows what's up. It, the, oh, man, that division is a mess. And you got Smith still hanging around and... I said 29-28 either way is a fine scorecard. Um, the fight just existed. It wasn't much here. Oh, I forgot to mention. Um, Holloway and Jung got fight of the night. I'm okay with that. Um, next up on the card, Giga Chikaze defeated Alex Caceres via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. I'm, I'm not trying to throw Caceres under the bus here. He just fought this fight. He fought a kickboxing fight against a better kickboxer and lost. Like that's kind of why I picked the way I picked here. Uh, 
Kaiser is the better kickboxer. Not much complicated about that. Um, we got some decent stuff from Caceres. He landed a few good punches. Was trying the sidekick, but Shikadze had good lateral movement, and that kind of shuts that down. It's certainly a way to deter it and neutralize its effectiveness. Uh, I say that as a guy who actually... Sidekicks are weird. Um, because you have the people who jokingly do the sidekicks don't work thing. You have the people who earnestly do the sidekicks don't work thing. You have the people who do the, no, they're really great weapons. My stance on them has kind of always been, if you know what their purpose is, they're fine tools to have in your tool belt. But that's that's kind of the extent of it. You almost never see them finish fights. Uh, not full on never, but it's rare. They're distance tools more than they are damaging techniques, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Just know what we're doing with them. Uh, and Shikadze kind of shut that down. Landed some good body kicks. Just seemed to be the harder puncher. Um, he was able to catch Caceres on one leg a few different times, kind of wobble him. I mean, Chikadze's got power. I don't mean to imply he doesn't. It's exacerbated. It was exacerbated by some of the movement and body positioning of Caceres. Chikadze uh, wants to fight ranked guys next. He's been out for a while after the loss. Who did he lose to? Was that Cater? Yeah, it was Cater. Um, glad to have him back. He's a good addition to the top of the division. So, curious to see what he had. And Caceres is just kind of where he is at this point. Um, bantamweights, Rinya Nakamura defeated Fernie Garcia via unanimous decision 30-26 and then the two 30-27s. Okay. So, Rinya Nakamura won the, uh, ro the last road to the UFC thing they did in Southeast Asia. I think it was season one. The season two, I think, is ongoing. Anyway. Um, he won that in, like, a very, very quick knockout. It wasn't, like, 30 seconds or something. He stopped uh, a guy who lost on this card. Uh, Toshiomi Kazama, or Kazama, I forget how he prefers it pronounced, where the accent is. Yeah, 33 seconds, knocked him out. Um, it's hard to get a feel for a guy who's, you know, got a lot of first-round finishes, especially a lot of quick ones. Uh, Nakamura's run through the, through the tournament was a first-round key lock in three and a half minutes, a knockout in two minutes and 20 seconds, and then a main event, and then when he beat uh, Kazuma, 33-second knockout. Hard to get a feel for that for a guy with that. Um, and some of that, uh, especially his earlier career, like, okay, you're beating guys who are far below you, uh, general skill-wise, which is not... Like, your first couple of fights, I don't hate it. I'm not mad about it. Um... But now we've now that I've seen more of him, able to get a better feel for the guy and what he's capable of. Um, pay attention to this guy. He's got power. We've seen that. He is quick and physically strong. This dude must be strong as an ox. His takedowns are good. He was a, a freestyle. He was like a national freestyle guy, uh, an Olympic hopeful at various points in time. Never made it to the Olympics, but he was, you know, top tier freestyle guy. So his wrestling, and then not just his takedowns are good. Here's he is so quick on the mat. This is an underrated skill from guys. Uh, 
Some guys don't have it at all. Some guys are slow, but moving position to position, moving around on the mat quickly is a skill. His speed down there is impressive. He's still developing his overall MMA game. Uh, this showed a little bit of that. He's not quite comfortable marrying ground and pound with submission attempts the way you'd really like to see. Um, this happens to some guys who are very talented, either young in their career or slightly and slightly more along the way, but when they take a consistent step up in competition, there's stuff that they do that is a little bit more gimmicky. I don't mean that as a negative, but like a little bit more niche. And they're able to, uh, so like, by way of example, he went for a north-south choke. He actually got pretty close to it. Um, he tried a straight arm lock at one point. These are techniques that are valid. They're viable. You can end fights with them. I'm not, bear in mind what I'm about to say here. They are not, uh, they're not stupid. You know, it's not that they don't work. They can work, but they're lower percentage. And they're a little bit easier to defend. And when that's the case, guys who are better can defend them and stifle them and stop some of these things that you're used to getting from working. Uh, and that kind that's kind of what happened here. There's some of the stuff he was going for in terms of techniques and setups and whatnot that... Garcia was just a good enough fighter to deal with, and it, again, it kind of stymied some of that. And landing better ground and pound will do wonders for opening up some of these other submission attacks. But, man, his, again, his physical strength in the wrestling, his downward pressure on top. I mean, Bernie Garcia couldn't move down there. And you've got to have sick top pressure to stop someone, especially in MMA. Like, he spent most of this fight on the mat um, in side control. Side control's become kind of a... It's a position that is dominant technically, but provides lots of opportunities for the person on bottom. And between between shutting down... Garcia's like attempted underhooks and just again sick downward pressure utterly had him pinned utterly so pay attention to this guy he might wash out instead of pan out but there's a lot here that's very good <laughs> Uh, women's flyweight, Aaron Blanchfield defeated Tyler Santos via unanimous decision, 29-28s across the board. Santos gets the first. A little bit better striking, uh, but Blanchfield kept a pretty decent pace and pressure. Lot of, um, a lot of clinch work from Blanchfield here. I don't think she ever got a takedown. She countered one in the second round. Um, the jokes online were, you know, Tyler Santos doing her best uh, Drickus Duplessis impression. She kind of tried the... Sacrifice throw, the lateral drop, and did not work. So, good win for Blanchfield. She wants a title shot next. There's some stuff here. I would like to see her over five rounds. Now, 
she was scheduled for five when she fought uh, Jessica Andrade, and Andrade just couldn't do it, couldn't extend her the distance. So, some of this, is, this is not a, she's never even been scheduled five. I would, I would be like to see her over the full five. There's some striking defense issues here. I don't know that um, she makes up for it with physical aggression and being willing to throw back. Like she's, she was very rarely just marching forward like a zombie. She was throwing, but there's there is a lack of defense there that might. That's something you got to work on. Now she's young. She's 25, I think. Some of this is stuff that, you know, does just take time to iron out. But you got your notice here. Hey, work on this. Uh, but I mean, there's almost no one left but the champion for her to fight. Now, there are a few caveats here. Um, one, we have to see what happens with the rematch between Alexa Grasso and Valentina Shevchenko. If Shevchenko wins, um, the UFC does like their trilogy fights. Uh, this coming week, we've got uh, Rose Namajunas entering the flyweight ranks, and she's fighting Manon Fior. Depending on how that plays out, the winner there is going to be in the conversation, so there's still a few things we need to see shake out. But uh, if she's not fighting for the title next, then she's going to fight... Uh, then her next fight will be against someone like unless she's willing to wait. If she's willing to sit, she might be able to fight for the belt next. If she wants to keep a decent activity rate, she might wind up fighting some combat against some iteration of Grasso, Shevchenko, Namajunas, or uh, Fior. That's on the table. But she got the win, and she is rapidly becoming undeniable in that division. And kicking off the main card, Junior Taffa knocked out Parker Porter with a punch in 124. Not much to talk about here. On the prelims, Waldo Cortez Acosta defeated Lucas Dreschke via knockout, uh, 301 of the first. They bumped Cortez Acosta up in class for his last fight. He was unequal to the task, and they immediately dropped him back down. Went from fighting a slightly more senior veteran fighter in um, Marcos Rosario de Lima to fighting a guy who was 0-2 or 0-3. I can't remember which one. So they're still kind of taking it easy with him. Um, nice enough knockout. He landed a right hand. He was still struggling with the leg kicks, man. Um, he's got to deal with that. He's so heavy on his lead leg. Uh, hurt. Dreschke got behind him. Landed, dude, Dreschke fell and almost landed straight on the top of his head. He kind of fell forward, but instead of doing a a front bump the way you're supposed to, you know, like flopping, um, his head, chin was tucked and his head was down. He almost spiked himself. I hope his neck's okay. It was not a good way to land. The referee could have intervened earlier on this one, to be honest. Uh, bantamweight Garrett Armfield uh, stopped Toshiozi, uh, excuse me, Toshiomi uh, Kazama. 416 of the first punches. He just was kind of better everywhere. Landed much better punches, better defense. Um, pretty good outing from Armfield. At middleweight, this was fun. 
you know, if you weren't going to give fight of the night to Holloway and Jong, this would have been a strong second. It only lasted 416. But Mikhail Olekshezuk defeating Chidi Njikwani via TKO, 416 of the first. Njikwani came out like he was shot out of a cannon. Rapid fire kicks, knees, punches. Olekshezuk just pushed forward, ate some nasty stuff. He ate some nasty knees. Threw back, threw body shots, threw his own kicks. He just, this was four minutes of mayhem. And Njikwani just faded. Olekshezuk just kept getting to him, kept pressuring him, kept him against the fence. Kept landing on him. Finally dropped him. Um, wait, did he drop him? Or did he, I think, didn't he catch? He might have caught a kick and got a takedown. And then just once he got on top, postured up and was able to land enough to force the stoppage. Fun little fight here, man. Um, hats off to both guys. This was, that was a good one. That was a good one. Uh, welterweight Song Kanan defeated Rolando Bedoya via unanimous decision. 29-28 across the boards. Good first round for Bedoya. But as the fight wore on, Song just kind of kept finding him with kicks. Um, some of uh, Once he got a read on some of Bedoya's timing, he started countering him a little bit better. Um, Bedoya, another one of those guys who might be just, some of what he does might be just a touch too gimmicky. And it'll confuse lesser fighters, but it won't work at the upper level. Uh, there's still some pretty decent upside to Bedoya, I think, but he's got to iron some stuff out. Welterweight Billy Goff stopped uh, Yusaku Kenoshita via, oh, body punch. This was nice. 349 of the first. Um, these two were going at it, and then Goff kind of got him against the fence and just slipped a jab right hand to the body, right to the solar plexus, timed very well. Must have caught him breathing because um, Kenoshita dropped. Like, boom, half a sec. Oh, crap, I can't breathe. Drop. Um, yeah, fun little fight and a good finish from Goff. Uh, women's flyweight JJ Aldridge defeated um, Na Liang or Liang Nong, excuse me. Uh, 4:49 of the second. Aldridge just kind of better everywhere. Her first finish in the UFC actually for Aldridge. Um, she, yeah, her last finish before this was win via finish. It was what 16? Yeah, 2016. So since then uh, she had the an invict that uh, was. One of her, it wasn't her Invicta fight. She was in Invicta at the time, but had a fight outside of them. Um, then it was decision, lost via decision, win, decision, 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 stopped by Barber, win decision, lose decision, win decision, win decision, win decision, lo- got choked by Blanchfield, lost a decision. Yeah, that's her first finish of any kind in, that's a long time, man. In September of 16. This was a little over, yeah, this was, um, so just under, uh, yeah, just about seven years. It's a long time to not be able to put someone away. And then kicking everything off at featherweight, Seungwoo Choi defeated Jarno Ehrens via unanimous decision. 228 to 3027. Didn't agree with the 3027, but Choi was the fair winner here. All in all, we had a pretty good night uh, early morning of fights. I wish I hadn't been as sleep-deprived as I was. I would have enjoyed it more. Uh, your bonuses. Fight of the night, I mentioned Holloway and Jung. Performances went to Junior Tafa and Mihal Oluksejuk. I'm okay with that. Um, might I have gone otherwise? Uh... 
you could make an argument for pretty much any finish from this card. Uh, you really could. So, not going to complain too much about that. Yeah, my full report is up in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. Go give it a read if you are so inclined. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right, let's move on. Wow, we are going to... We might be out of here in pretty decent time this week. <laughs> Didn't even take me an hour to get to that, and I had a protracted introduction. All right, UFC on ESPN Plus 84 this coming Saturday. Presumably an earlier start time. Actually, let me check that. Yeah, we're going to have an earlier start time. Uh, they will be in... They're, they're going to be in Paris, France. So... Prelims... Yeah, it's going to be 10 a.m. here. It's not unreasonable. Um, earlier than I like to be up, but again, not unreasonable. And yeah, main card starts at 1 my time, so... So the noon Eastern start time. That's fair. Um, anyway, as for the card, um, it's not the best. If I'm gonna be honest. Main event is pretty good. So you've got Cyril Gon, who needs a rebound after, dude, he had nothing for John Jones. I mean, nothing. Um, John got him out of there in little over two minutes. But his only two losses are to Francis Ngannou and John Jones. And you could argue, I think I scored um, the Ngannou fight for gone. I'm not sure how much I would still sit on. The, I haven't rewatched the fight. Um, but he didn't look bad in that fight. Then he knocked out Taito Ivasa. Then, yeah, John kind of just bulldozed him. Um, he's fighting Sergei Spivak who is uh, Moldovan. He's on a pretty good run, actually. Um, his only... He got a couple of early losses in the UFC to Walt Harris and Marcin Tabora. But he is 6-1 and one in his last seven on a three-fight winning streak, and his only loss in that time was to Tom Aspinall. Um, let's see. His current streak is... All finishes over Greg Hardy, Augusto Sakai, and Derek Lewis. I am not trying to downplay Spivak. I think he is a... I think you'd be foolish to utterly discount his chances here. I still am okay picking Gon, and I again, I don't actually feel that badly about that pick. Um, I think the official odds at the moment are relative... They're worth Gon, but they're not even 2-1. to one. And in MMA, that's actually fairly close. Uh, I'm picking Gon... But I, uh, Spivak is not a terrible pick. Uh, just all things considered, I don't think he quite has the uh, the strict wrestling that John Jones does. But if he does get gone down and get on top of him, he'll be a problem. Um, I mean, gone on the ground is not terrible. He just John was just uh, John forced that into a position where. Gone was very, very clearly very uncomfortable. Um, Spivak, not quite the same, again, fence wrestler in particular that John is. So I'm, I'm picking, I'm okay with Gone here, but I'm not going to be shocked if Spivak wins at all. 
Uh, co-main event, very interesting fight here. I mentioned it already. Um, women's flyweight Manon Fior and Rose Namajunas. Curious to see how Namajunas looks at flyweight. She's coming off of that... Uh, God, that fight with Esparza. The worst fight of 2022. Rose Namajunas, Carlos Esparza by... Terrible fight. Absolutely terrible. Um, but that ended a three-fight winning streak she'd been on. And two of those were split decisions. Eh, I was okay with her winning both of those. Like, the problem with the Andrade fight was that like, she won that fight two rounds to one, but if that had gone on, um, Andrade had gotten to her in the third round and badly busted her up. Then she knocks out Zhang, fights to a split decision the second time around. That could have gone either way. Then, yeah, that Esparza fight was just awful. Been out for over a year, and she's running in... <sighs> okay, if this were five rounds, I would feel much better picking Nama Yunus. Over three? Fjord's tough. Um, she's on a ten-fight winning streak. Got two finishes in her first two UFC fights. Three decisions after that over Maya Vera, Buena Silva, Jennifer Maya, Kaylin Chikagian. She's got good movement. She's got pretty good long-range weapons. Uh, the odds are with Fior here, and, and I can kind of see why. Like, th there's going to be a little bit of people just looking at the Esparza fight from Nami Unis and going, what the... They might carry that over a little bit too much. I might be not giving it enough credit, in fairness, so... I don't know. This is a close one. I genuinely don't know. Um... Said five rounds, I'd feel pretty comfortable going with Nami Yunus. Only three? I might actually lean to towards Fior here. Um... Physical dimensions. Fior's 5'7 with 65 inches of reach. Nami Yunus 5'5 with 65. So two inches height and reach for Fior. Nami Yunus has put on some muscle mass. Um, but, I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to lean towards Fior very slightly. Uh, the odds are a little, like, if you can still get plus money on Nami Yunus and don't mind losing, that might be something you consider. The uh, lightweight next, Benoit Saint-Denis and Thiago Moises. Let's see, Saint-Denis... He's never lost at lightweight. On a three, uh, his UFC debut was up at welterweight, where he lost to Elijah Zaleski dos Santos. Won his last three, finished all of them actually. Um, Nicholas Stolza, um, Gabriel Miranda, and Ismael Bonfim. Um, Moises, been up and down. Um, he lost his UFC debut to Benil Daryush, beat Kirkolobo, lost to Demiris Magulov, won three in a row, lost to Islam Makashev, no shame, lost to Joel Alvarez, pretty good. Um, he's beaten Giga Chikadze and Melchiazel uh, Costa his last two fights. I'm going to lean towards Saint-Denis here, actually. I've been sleeping on that guy a little bit. Um, I'm going to go with Saint-Denis. Light heavyweights, oh, why? Uh, Volkan Uzdemir and Bogdan Guskov. Is this supposed to be something else? I'm gonna have to look this up. I feel like this might have started life. 
as a different fight. Yeah. Yeah, Volkan Uzdemir was supposed to fight Azamat Mirzakhanov. Much better fight. Um, jeez. Who would I have... When I, when I have to cover some people with, um... Names like this, um, usually one of them is just control... It's, just, it's copy-paste, man. It's control-C, control-V. It's just easier. Um, when I have two of them that I have to try and choose between, uh... Who would I have kept? Uh, I might have kept... I might have kept Uzdemir. That's not as hard to type as you might think. Um, so anyway, yeah, I have no problem picking Uzdemir here. Um, Guskov is, what, Uzbek? Yeah, it's the Uzbek flag. Um, 14 and 2. Uh, what, pretty... The four in a row... He lost to. Do I know either of these gentlemen? I don't know. Listen, Vyacheslav Vyslavsky, Vasilevsky. Um, him I might actually that uh, might be confusing him with someone else. Um. No, no, I am not. I actually have seen a few of that guy's fights. Okay. I have no problem picking Uzdemir here for the uh, no problem picking him. Short notice, Uzdemir's not an easy guy to necessarily get out of there. I'm gonna say, for the record, um, Uskov might surprise some people. Not enough, not enough for me to go. Yes, that's the guy. Like, no, I'm still going with Uzdemir, but. If it sounds like I'm being wishy-washy, eh, you know, I'm going with so-and-so, but boy, so-and-so might win. Like, I've seen enough of some of these guys to go, yeah, don't sleep on him. That's all I'm saying here. Don't sleep on him. Uh, featherweight, William Gomez and Lucas Almeida. Uh, Gomez, what, 0-2 in the UFC? 2-0. Who am I confusing him with? Um... Sorry, I'm looking at a thing there. Sorry, sorry, I. Anyway, um, yeah, the Francis Marshall fight was close. I have to double check how I scored it. Um, Almeida, Lucas Almeida, also fourteen and uh, fourteen and two rather than twelve and two, one and one in the UFC. Beat Michael Trezano, uh, lost to Pat Sabatini. That was rough. He had three fights fall out between those two. Good grief. Zubair Tahugov, Andre Feely, and Akeem Dowdy. Jeez. Um, I'm going to lean towards Almeida here. Another fairly well-matched fight. In fact, uh, yeah, Gomez is technically the favorite. I'm, yeah, I'm okay leaning towards. I'm, gonna, I'm okay with my lean. Let's see. Next up. Who do we got? 
Uh, Bantamweight, Giannis. I'm going to butcher this gentleman's name. Uh, Gamorty and Kowlin Longman. Okay, I need to see where some of these gentlemen. Okay, Gamorty is French. Uh, oh, long, he's Irish. I miss, I know I'm mispronouncing that if he's Irish. Um, I'm going to go with Lauren, and I'm going to apologize and do it better on the next fight. Um, I think these guys are both debuting here. Uh, Gamori is 12-1. and one. Good winning streak, actually. Yeah, UFC debut. Uh, Al Malameda. Lochran um, is 8-0. Also debut. I go with Gamori, um, but I'm not sold on that one. All right, uh, prelims. Let's see, featherweight Morgan Chere. Uh, I'm gonna. Sorry, I haven't taken French in way too long. <laughs> Some of it I have brief memories of. Some of it, uh, not so much. Uh, Chartier, maybe? Forgive me if I'm wrong about that. Um, also French, making his UFC debut, taking on an Italian gentleman, Manolo Z uh, Zicchini. Zicchini? Uh, going with Zicchini until I hear otherwise, and maybe there's supposed to be an accent there. My Italian accent is bad enough to be potentially offensive, so I'm not going to come out here and go, Zicchini. <laughs> In any kind of serious capacity, so. Um, oh, yeah, there's the last pirate. Uh, Shardier. Uh, yeah, uh, 18, 9, and 1. Been around for a while. Um, I'm surprised it took him this long to get here, actually. Coming in on a three-fight winning streak. I've been in Cage Warriors for a while. Um, he is 13 and excuse me, 11 and 3. Bloop. Transpose those. Two-fight winning streak coming into his UFC debut. I'm okay picking Chartier. Um, that, that, that works for me. Next, uh, bantamweight still. Taylor Lapalus and Muin Gafarov. I'm probably mispronouncing his first name. Um, Lapalus. Been up, bit up and down in the UFC. Sorry, he's returning to the UFC. Um, yeah, I remember him correctly, more or less. He went 3-1 and one in the UFC his first time. That was back in 2015 and 2016. And then I guess his contract wasn't renewed after he beat Leon Verisa. Uh, he's won his last, what, five? Several UFC vets in here. Josh Hill, Nate Manis, Wilson Hayes. Um, why did he leave? No, actually, huh? Because usually that, unless you're kind of a pain, you know, uh, three and one is usually good enough to keep you in the UFC through your first four. Um, anyway, uh, Gafarov, uh, Tajik. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know I'm mispronouncing his first name. I can never remember how to do it. But um, eighteen and five. Uh, lost his UFC debut. Yeah, to John Castaneda. Um, I'm okay going with Lapalus here. Um, but that actually might be a pretty good fight. 
two women's bantamweight, Zara Farin Dos Santos. Uh, let's see. Is 0-3 in the UFC. She's fighting for a job. Hey, featherweight here. No, bantamweight, so she's cutting down. Against Jacqueline Cavalcanti. Is uh, Portuguese. She's 5-1. I believe this is her debut in the UFC. Yes, it is. Three-fight winning streak. Uh, yeah, this is do or die for uh, Zara Farin. Uh, they might have just straight up brought in a uh, kind of a jobber here for her. Cavalcanti is... Um, if I regret this, you know, it's not like I put anything on this. I'm not gambling or anything. You know what? Screw it. Cavalcante, why not? I'm going to be very wrong about that watch. But, uh, yeah, I'm not picking Farron at this point. Uh, also women's bantamweight, Jocelyn Edwards and uh, Nora uh, Cor Cornole. Uh, let's see. Edwards eh, seems to have found her footing kind of in the UFC. She's won her last three. Two of those were split decisions. One of them I thought she lost. Dude, she's missed weight her last two fights. Yeah, I kind of thought Gion Kim beat her. I did think she beat Lucia Pudilova, though. But, man, you missed weight twice in a row. She better make it here. Um, Nora... I need to see how that's pronounced. Going with Corner L um, until I hear otherwise. So, or, so uh, six and one, six fight winning streak. The only loss was oh the aforementioned Jacqueline uh, Cavalcanti. <laughs> it was a pro debut. Okay. Um, I'm okay going Edwards here. Uh, let's see. Next up, Angelosa and Reese McKee. I feel like these gentlemen are fighting for their jobs here. Um, Losa is 9-3. I believe he's 0-3 in the UFC. No, sorry, only 1-1. One one. Oh, right, right, right. Sorry, I was... He has another loss in his record. I was kind of counting against him there. Um, that shouldn't count for his UFC. It doesn't count for his UFC. So, in the UFC, he lost to Munio Lezez. He beat AJ Fletcher. Um, McKee, 13-4-1, oh, he's 0-2 in the UFC. He's coming back. He went 0-2, won three fights in Cage Warriors, making his way back. Who'd he beat? Eh, beating Jim Wallhead's not nothing. Yeah, he he got ran over by Kamzat Shemaev and then uh, had that less-than-stellar showing against Alex Morono. Um... Uh, yeah, they're at Walter Wade for this. He might have slimmed down a lot. Eh, let me lean towards Losa, but... Uh, it's nice to... It's nice that he was able to show that he had more than he displayed between getting run over by Kamzat and then... Uh, you know, Morono kind of shellac, kind of beating him. And kicking everything off at Bantamweight, Farid Basharat and Clemson Rodriguez. Um... My uh, Bashra, yeah, Bashra is the favorite. Almost three to one. Yeah, I have no problem picking Bashra here. He is ten and zero, oh, 
two and zero in the UFC. Or is he one and zero? His brother might be two and zero. He might be one. Yeah, he's one and zero. Um, yeah, this is fighting Jav, uh, Javad Bash, um, Javid, excuse me. Uh, Javid Bashrat is two and zero. Farid going for a second win here. Kledson Rodriguez eight and two, one and one in the UFC. Um, yeah, that fight with Tatsuro Tyra fallout. Um, yeah, I'm going with Basher out here. So, what did we lose from this card? Just very briefly. I already mentioned the Mirzakhanov withdrew. Um, oh, Zara Farin was supposed to fight Haley Cowan. That would have... I would have picked Cowan there much easier than I picked Kabul Kante. <laughs> Um, and then we lost uh, Najat Hakparast and Sam Patterson. Eh, kind of sucks. I like watching Hakparast fight. Uh, Patterson withdrew from there. We couldn't get a... Alright, that's the card. Again, Saturday morning slash early afternoon. I will be covering it in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. Please do stop by. Say hello. Always appreciated. Okay, so let's talk news because we have some news to discuss. So... Big thing, let me talk a little bit about this. So the UFC lawsuit, I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. We got some new stuff. It happened Monday morning. Uh, otherwise, I would have talked about it on the program last week. So I mentioned the UFC was um, appealing a few things. They had appealed to the specific judge. They have also filed their... So what they did with the um, their appeal, their uh, motions or petitions for this current lawsuit, they actually wanted to combine... Um, the current lo the lawsuit in question, which is uh, Kung Lee at all, might just be Kung Lee at this point, uh, versus the UFC, which covers from 2010 to 2017, with a separate lawsuit that uh, former UFC fighter Cajun Johnson brought. That was 2000. That was the period after. That's so like later 2017, forward to I forget exactly when. I'd have to double check that, but period of time forward. They wanted to merge those into one lawsuit. A couple of reasons for that. One, it would delay everything and restart discovery. You'd have a brand new lawsuit, essentially. Um, two, there's a handful of business practices that the UFC started engaging in after 2017, or like during the tail end of 2017, that might look more favorable. Uh, again, they put in some sunset clauses in contracts, and a few other things that... They could kind of try and argue, like, hey, we're not quite as much of a monopsony as you're saying, and there's some things that were happened, and the judge wasn't interested in that, apparently. So that was denied. The judge set a trial date. Um, not a specific date, but uh, I think it was, like, March of 2024, which is pretty... Uh, it would be pretty quick. Uh, and I don't mean that as a negative. Like, that would be... Uh, when you're trying to get litigation like this up and rolling, getting actual trial dates is a non-trivial thing. Um, what was the other thing? Did that. What was... Um, he... Well, that, again, we could be getting a trial very soon in that respect. Now, it's unclear at the moment whether this will be a jury trial or a bench trial. My understanding is a lot of um, antitrust law is bench trial, which is just the judge, instead of jury trial. Don't know 
uh, that could go either way, so we'll see. Um, but again, that one could go either way. Uh, oh, for those of you who are curious, I'm uh, a lot of my. Uh, I'm not just repeating what these gentlemen say verbatim. You are getting kind of my spin and my thoughts, but uh, a lot of my inf my information on this and kind of what I'm uh, cribbing from comes from John Nash, Eric McCracken, and a, a few other people like that who are doing some very good reporting on this subject. Anyway, so that's one of them. Uh, we, the judge wanted this fast track for trial, so spring 2024, not out of the realm of possibility in that respect. Um, the plaintiffs wanted to unseal all the evidence, all the stuff. Now, some comes out, came out via like the public discovery process, which is not all public, but some of it was presented um, in, in more open court. But a lot of it was still kind of sealed, and the judge seemed amenable. I think he ruled out, like, yeah, we're going to unseal now. They won't unseal everything, everything. There's a couple of things that are still going to be held back, most of it privacy-related. So personal phone numbers, uh, personal emails, and certain specifics of medical information, I think, will be will all be held back. Um, I think, like, some physical locations, too, like your personal address will not necessarily be sealed here. So... Generally, if you want to go through some of this stuff after it's been released, what they'll do is they'll just like, okay, we know, make up a, if you know that some email address, like, you know, I don't know, wifebeater42 is Dana White's, sorry, not the best joke, but if you know that's Dana White's email address, you'll be listed as like from Dana to whoever internally, um, so they will be listed by the appropriate person who we know who has that that's been established this is so and so but they won't list phone numbers again email addresses some of the stuff you know for what should be self-evident reasons that will not be included but all the substance of it will be and that's pretty darn big there's my, my hunch um my hunch is there's some pretty damning stuff in there between mma managers um being kind of scummy and especially for the time period in question, some of the UFC's, eh, I hate to use this word, but it's the only word to effectively describe it, the culture of the UFC office might not look good in open court. Uh, just throwing that out there. Look, Dana White was, in many respects, a breath of fresh air when he was very brash, very outspoken, very public about a lot of things. And, well... When you're a smaller entity, not drawing a ton of scrutiny, that's not the worst thing in the world. When you're a billion-dollar company, but I've said this before, man, like there's a bunch of people out there who are still cheerleading the UFC's cause like they're the underdogs. No, guys, we, they won. We won. I was there when we were the underdogs. I've been here for a while. Okay, I don't say a long, long time because there's people who've been here longer than me. I've been here for a while. No, you know what? I actually can say a long time at this point. It's been well over 10 years. I've been here for a long time, okay? I've been here for a long time. I remember when we were fighting. I remember when it was a scrap for respectability, when we weren't regulated in every state, when, this is still true, there's still a bunch of people who refer to it as ultimate fighting rather than MMA. I remember when that was much, much more prevalent. Much more prevalent. I've been here for this fight. Here's the good news. We won. We didn't 
here's a there was there was some unrealistic expectation about what winning would look like. We didn't overtake football or basketball or baseball. We're never gonna, in all probability. We're, the UFC is a billion-dollar company on ESPN. They're about to be, I mentioned this before, they're about to be merged with the WWE into a $20 billion entity. This is like the de facto, that, that, that um that that business entity the they've indicated the stock the um the stock shorthand because um companies have uh, again like stock shorthand um they're they're going to be TKO I don't know what it's going to stand for in the actual business because they haven't uh, put forth all the paperwork yet or announced every bit of it publicly but that's that's the gist of this twenty billion dollar company on ESPN every freaking week every Saturday. We're not the underdogs. The UFC is not the underdog. And when you're the underdog little guy, okay, being brash, making noise, saying some things that, you know, maybe eh, under different circumstances with cooler heads or a little bit of, you know, uh, legal consideration you wouldn't have said, you know, all right, fine. Guys, you won. There's a reason NFL owners, NBA commissioners. There's a reason those people in those positions don't sound like Dana White. So that when you get sued, that doesn't come out in court. There's a million pictures of Dana White celebrating monopolistic practices. A million pictures, a million sound bites. That's just in public. To say nothing of what you get in texts and emails and whatnot that are just within the company. If the judge is sitting here going, you're a, you are violating antitrust law, and guess what? I Here's this mountain of stuff to indicate you knew it, or you knew that you'd wind up here, or celebrating it. You're going to get buried. Buried. So that's getting unsealed, and the uh, the you know the UFC lawyers or the Zufa lawyer the, whatever they're appealing that part um, probably if the judge says he wants it unsealed it's gonna get unsealed sorry you're gonna have to deal with that and I hope some enterprising people on Twitter are just gonna post all they are they're just gonna post all that stuff so that's out and denied the petition um, set so yeah he denied joining the lawsuits. Um, the injunctive relief thing stands. That was one of the other things that were kind of like, hey, could you not potentially say they're qualified for injunctive relief? Because the ruling from the judge in that sense could then, again, could temporarily change the nature of things, and then if it becomes permanent, permanently change how the UFC has to do business. So that's still a big thing on the table. Now, the UFC, their last, dude, their last hope. The, the justice system in the United States, both civil and criminal, it, it can get hung up at times, but it's a little bit like, it's more like chess. And sometimes you can look up and go, oh, wait, I'm in trouble. So they've, pretty much the last hope they have now is the motion that's been filed 
um, the UFC, they're seeking to appeal the class certification. So that's going to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And then I, I talked a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago, but the Ninth Circuit is, it's a, it's a geographical distinction. Uh, the Ninth Circuit covers Alaska, Hawaii, Montana, Idaho, Washington, Oregon, California, and Arizona, I want to say. I think it's one of it's one of either Arizona or New Mexico, and I let me look this up. I don't want to it's wrong. Um because very, very foolish if I did. Um it is yeah, Arizona. And then yeah, the tenth circuit is more the central. That's New the tenth circuit is what? Colorado, Wyoming, Utah. Oklahoma, uh, not Nebraska, Kansas, and then New Mexico. So again, it's purely a logistical thing. But that's it. If you don't get, you can't appeal higher than that unless you go to the Supreme Court. And I don't, and I don't think that you could appeal class certification at the Supreme Court level. You're going to have to let the trial play out at that point. So, a couple of things can happen at the Ninth Circuit. Um, they can either agree, they can either decertify. If there's if they disagree with the judge's ruling, they can agree with the judge's ruling and the certification will stand. Or what is in all probability the most the most likely outcome, they don't hear the argument at all. The this is not just the ninth. Different circuits have slightly different rates on this one. So the ninth circuit in particular, they get appealed to a lot. This is the federal again. Because this is federal districting, so the federal ninth district gets a lot of appeals. They decline to even hear some 80% of cases brought before them, which they can do if they just go. You only get like you only get to appear before the appellant court if they want to hear your arguments and think you have something to offer. If they just look at the ruling and go, no, this is well, more accurately, if one of the clerks for the judges looks at the ruling and then summarizes it and the judge and then the appellant judges kind of agree with the summary of what they get because you can't go through everything piece by piece. This is why you have clerks. This is why you have staff. Anyway, if they just kind of look at it and go, no, we think the, we think that judge was right. They don't need to issue a ruling. They don't need to, because if they schedule something, then you get to present arguments and then it, it, it just takes time. If they just look at this and go, nah, he's right, they decline. Like, no, we don't want to hear it. it. And again, at that point, unless you want to appeal, I, I'd have to double check the actual process of this because you can appeal to the Supreme Court. But I'm not sure you can specifically appeal class certification there. have to double check. And there's every possibility. I mean, at that point, like if the Ninth Circuit, if your circuit doesn't want to hear it, again, not just disagrees or agrees with the ruling, or with, uh, not just like makes a ruling after hearing arguments on the appeal, if they just straight up say, no, we're not taking it, I find it highly unlikely the Supreme Court will take it. So that's kind of their last hope, if depending on how they want this to play out. Now, rumor has it that um, Ari Emanuel has said that they're not going to offer settlement. If this goes to trial, you that they might want to reconsider that. I'm sure they will. I, I'm I'm fairly confident part of what he was saying was just public, uh, public, uh, a forward-facing look for that. But 
You might not want this to go to trial. Again, it's, I don't know if a jury would be better or worse for them. I genuinely don't. But if it's a bench trial, and that's you know, what a lot of these are, statistically, that's not good. So, might have a trial date, first quarter of 2024. A lot of evidence is going to be unsealed and available for public consumption. And, yeah, they're kind of like, please, Ninth Circuit, at least hear us, because that'll take time. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, um, he. Uh, the other thing the judge did is apparently this is this, uh, because... The UFC has a thing where if you're going to sue them, you have to do it in um, in, a, in a specific jurisdiction. Uh, I've mentioned this before. Like that's very common for corporations. If you want to sue us, you have to do it at the local jurisdiction. Um, some of that's just logistically easier. Some of it, you can you know, if you want to get conspiracy theory, you can argue like it's oh I know the people here, so I'm yeah, more likely to go in my favor. My hunch in this case is it's a lot more just logistical. Like, okay, if you want to, so, like, in certain places based out of Seattle, if you want to sue them, you have to do it in that district. If it's federal, or even locally, like, it's got to, I'm sure it's got to be something there, too. But anyway, so they're kind of just hoping that the, uh, the the Ninth Circuit wants to at least hear from them, if not outright reverses that ruling. Um, this is going to change the landscape, guys. This, what's going on right now is going to fundamentally change the landscape. Dude, there's a couple of clauses in UFC contracts right now that are seriously... So, one of them that the UFC's been putting in recently is um, fighters waive the right to participate in class action lawsuits. Or, like, they just agree in, agree in advance to binding arbitration kind of thing. And, you boy, that ain't gonna stand if... Um, the other one, and this came out recently, uh, there's a, apparently there's a thing in here where anything that the, that fighters do while under contract to the UFC counts as work product, and the UFC is entitled to part of it, so, like, a catchphrase that you want to start monetizing, they can technically claim part of it, um, it's very, it's worded very obscurely, so in theory, the UFC could kind of just, like, pick at any business a fighter creates, that's speculative, they haven't done it, but the language is such that you could make the argument. So the judge could be striking down a lot of this. Some of the, again, the agreeing not to sue them. Uh, some of the, you know, how much the UFC gets out of what fighters do. Whether or not fighters are independent contractors to begin with might be on the table, and that would change a lot. That would change a lot. And you know, contract length. There's a lot here. Pay attention to this story, guys. It was kind of at a standstill for a few years during the discovery process, which just takes time, during a few, like, depositions, um, which all takes time. And then there was some uh, waiting for the judge to finish writing stuff up and dealing with a few other things, I guess. But this is going to change things. It's going to change things. Pay attention to this story. It's a big one. Okay, also on the uh, MMA front, so UFC Fight Pass and Conor McGregor both tweeted out a thing indicating that McGregor Chandler is theoretically on for UFC 296. Uh, okay, I'm waiting for more confirmation than Conor McGregor or whoever's running Fight Pass at the moment. 
Um, here's the thing. I said before that if the UFC just hands McGregor an exemption from USADA for this, you've just, you, you're telling on yourself. You're just admitting what a farce your relationship with USADA is. At which point, cancel it. Stop working with them. Stop paying them. Go back to state commission testing. The UFC hired USADA both as PR insurance and because this, this was back before um, WME bought the UFC from Zufa to make the sale look more look better. If we're if they're a hindrance to your business, stop doing it. You're only screwing the fighters. That's all you saw is done. By the way, have they cleaned up the sport? No. Have they helped the UFC's image? And eh, maybe. Have they screwed the fighters? Oh yeah. That's all you've accomplished. Good job. If they hand him one of these, yeah, that's all it is. That's all it is. Look, most of these exemptions come in. People trying to draw comparisons to the Brock Lesnar thing at UFC 200. Allow me to explain why that's different. Because it's fairly significant. Brock uh, retired from MMA. I don't even think he was under UFC contract at the time. They actually had to hire him back. So, here's the deal. What you got with Brock, even how short notice that fight came together, was basically the same kind of exemption the UFC gives anyone stepping in on short notice. Anyone who takes a short notice fight in the UFC does kind of get that exemption from USADA testing because you weren't under contract and whatever. There's no reason to give one to Connor. Look, Connor had to recover from a catastrophic injury and then had to get jacked for a movie. Not even mad at him, by the way. When it comes to this, I'm not mad. I'm not angry at him for what he did. One, everyone in the movies is on something. Gar- I, I, if you've not heard me make this point before, allow me to do so again. Anyone you're watching on screen on some kind of performance-enhancing thing. Every single one of them, because part of their job is to look a certain way on screen. So they take whatever they can. And I don't care because they're not. As long as what you're not, as long as you're not taking anything illegal, you're not breaking any rules. Like you're not competing. You know, you're not breaking a competition rule. Like you're, you're there to look like a superhero by definition, superhuman. So yeah, they're on crap, all of them. You, do, you don't look like The Rock or Hugh Jackman in your 40s naturally. Hate to break it to you, but you don't. Nobody does naturally. Though Connor was going to be in a movie, so he got on the gear. And, dude, if a steroid or something similar regiment helped him recover from badly shattering his leg, good on you, man. Don't care. One iota. But you're still in that pool. And that has... That that means when you want to come back to fighting, you should agree, you should do so under the terms that everyone's agreed to fight under. 
and the UFC is throwing that away because we want Connor to fight. Well, again, you're kind of saying the quiet part out loud here, aren't you? That's not, again, this hasn't actually been confirmed by any other sources beyond that. I'm sure it will be. We'll have something on that later on the week, but that's where we are right now. Almost didn't want to talk about it, but, you know, it did garner a little bit of attention, so I'm not going to treat it as anything other than more internet BS until people I trust in the space have confirmed it, so there we are. All right, I think that's everything. Let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken. If not, we will do plugs and get out of here. All right, nothing new MMA-related at least, so plugs. All right, um, Monday, because that's when my that's when I truly may stop and rest. That's fr- that's work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. That'll be fun. Anyway, Monday, um, damn you Hollywood, we will be reviewing Gran Turismo. So yeah, um, haven't seen it yet, but I will, and we will talk about it. Should be a good time. I've heard pretty good things. Um, nothing groundbreaking, but you know, I've heard good things. All right. Uh, there's that. Then my usual spate of professional wrestling coverage. MLW stuff on Thursday, WWE SmackDown on Friday, UFC events Saturday morning. All right. And we'll be back here next Sunday to review that and preview UFC 293, which is... I already mentioned it. It's not a great card. Um, you get a relevant main event for the middleweight belt, but when your co-main event is Taito Ivasa doing anything, that's not a great sign. Um, Justin Toffa, Tyson, like the usual, eh. It, I'm going to tell you guys, it's not very hyped. But we will give you a full preview next week. You might disagree with me, and fair play to you if you do. All right. That's it for me. Thank you all very, very much as always. I appreciate the heck out of you. Stay safe out there. Hug your loved ones. And continue to be well, be safe, and behave.